1: It's the My First Gig Podcast, whoa, sharing stories of first gigs and shows.
2: Well, well, my little friends, my little dancing little boys, my oh so super soft babies. How are we, guys? Welcome to My First Gig with me, Dwayne Dugan. Hope you're having a nice time. Welcome to the podcast. I hope you're listening early, ad free, and extended on patreon.com forward slash My First Gig Pod. Are we getting into the plugs early? Oh, you bet your ass we are. How are we, guys? Uh, Thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, Thank you for tuning in last week if you did. Last week had a great interview with Brody Snook. Check that out if you haven't. There's some great stuff out there, guys. If you haven't, like, listened to these, you can go back and listen to them. If you're coming to just listen to me, well, (laughs) uh, my ticket sales don't reflect that. Um, But if I ever have tickets to sell, buy them. You know, there's this great thing I've realised. Even if you're in, you know, Somewhere in Arizona, you can buy tickets to any show I put on in Dublin and I'll still get the money because you know who doesn't want me to have money if not me. So help me out, be a bro. I, uh, on the topic of money, which is so uh gross, not gross. So, what's that posh people use those? That's a little regro, that's a little row. Little, uh, I don't know, I don't know any words, but it was my brother's fifteenth uh, birthday this week. He was fifteen, so I've nicknamed him Quarter Past, which I'm pretty proud of. Yeah, yeah, we on board, we like it, and uh, he had a little little party done, like not even a big thing, just like friends over for pizza and stuff of like that, playing PlayStation and stuff, and. He came in and like showed us all the money he'd got from just that little group of people. I'm like, when did this happen? Because my dad was saying that, oh, they send the kids over, even if they're not invited, on the birthday with a card and 20 quid in an envelope. I'm like, huh? When did this happen? Like People would come to my birthday and you wouldn't bring 20 quid in an envelope. You'd go to the party. And that was this. It. It's like, you see confirmations and communions now. They come out with millions of quid. Literally millions. You know, if you see that, like, Forbes top millionaire list, it's all kids who have made their confirmation. And while, like, two minutes into a podcast, this reeks, OPU, it reeks of bitterness and jealousy of rich children, which is strange. I remember my confirmation, I had 45 pounds. and That's the money I got, I think it was from my grandparents and my uncle. And maybe my mother gave me money as well. But my mother would have, like, taken me to dinner and um, probably bought me a gift or something like that. Um, but I had £45 the next day. And so while I'm like, here, where where can I get some of these big bucks that the kids are getting? That day that I had 45 quid was the best day of my life. I went into Cork City. We're talking summer 2000. And I had £45, and I bought, I bought a... a, a A CD, compact disc of a band, an album. I don't remember what. We're talking maybe... Talking about 20 quid, but I'm already out of money then. Because I remember I bought WWF Survivor Series 1998. Because it's a deadly game that we're playing. Um, The Coronation of the Rock. To make it somewhat interesting for the people who are like is he talking about wrestling oh you bet you baby ass i am um and i remember those videos vhs's were 24.99 so the album maybe i got an album on sale because i don't think the wrestling tapes ever went on sale so maybe i got an album on sale because i had five pound left over and i went down and i had a mcdonald's and i remember like going home on the bus being like do you know what today if, if this is how my life is going to be it doesn't get any better than this I love it, I appreciate it I need it and I, I long for those times we can't even you know that was Survivor Series 1988 I was buying it almost two years later and I hadn't seen it because I didn't see it at two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday night when I was ten and I had school the next day so I had to wait Until it finally showed up in the shop. There was no rhyme or reason or even schedule. It wasn't like you got the VHS tapes, say, a year behind. And then month to month you got each new one. They just got random ones in. And there'd be like one copy of it as well. And that I used to love that. You never knew what you'd find going right. Because you didn't have access to everything. Spotify and YouTube, just in this instance, talk about videos and music like if a, if a, it's where I'm recording now it's 12 past midnight and actually there's a stand-up clip I want to go watch uh Rod Gilbert's The Book of John and I know that that's out at midnight and it's like I can just go watch that now I can buy it in the middle of this while this is exporting and chuck it on the telly and watch it like do you remember we used to get the bus into town and used to go in and used to hope that it was there oh is it in stock is it not in stock yet and even, like, sometimes games or CDs, they might not be in stock the day of release. Because they go, oh, well, we don't get stock until Tuesdays. Release day is Friday. It doesn't matter. We get stock on Tuesdays. And you go back in, you get the album, you're just reading the sleeves, sleeve notes at home, on the on the bus home, trying to figure out the melodies behind the lyrics. I love that. I think that's why I got into... I, I kind of... I don't, I don't collect vinyls, but I have a collection. So I like to get albums I enjoy. So... That is collecting vinyls, but I don't want to be a collecting vinyls guy because it's a bit uncool now, which makes it extra cool. Oh shit, I collect vinyls, and it's just to have that you know, just a bit of appreciation for what you're consuming because I think everything's just a bit too fast food now. And don't get me wrong, I love McDonald's, but you know, you need a steak once in a while. What does that mean? I don't know. I went to a festival last week that my girlfriend was performing on uh, full of economic people. uh, Economists, not economics. um, Economists, and they were like, oh, and you know if you have sausages but you get more money and then you buy steak. Well, this uh, rule is the rule of measuring the increase in your consumption. I'm like, what? you talking like nerds man and like I'm doing a podcast about comedy which is pretty nerdy and stupid but like if you feel that you're nerdy go to this festival great crack, good fun, Kilkenny, beautiful city but my god just spend some time with proper nerds and you go do you know what fair play to them but like they they've they've discussed more in an hour than I've ever known in my life Too much information, man. Let's just all be a bit ignorant. I had trouble with the word economist a while ago. Like, let's all be a bit stupid, can't we? If everyone's so smart, then it's just easy, isn't it? Let's just be, let's be a little bit ignorant. I think we'll be a bit more peaceful. In the same way that we don't need to have Spotify and YouTube to get everything that we want. We don't need Twitter and the news 24 around the clock to tell us all the things that we don't necessarily need yet like yeah we should be aware and what's going on and everything oh god what am i talking about here i am presenting a podcast where i talk in my sitting room at midnight and expect you to listen to it but hey let's let's not learn everything about the news okay but let's not i don't know my guest today is kai humphries this was recorded just before the pandemic Uh, I think I said Paul Smith was the last episode I did before the pandemic but this might have been it this was very close, this was was over doing the laughter lounge in Dublin and I met up in one of the mornings and we had a fun chat and yeah, glad to finally get it out it's the penultimate episode in the series hang about till after the episode and I will reveal who the finale is another early 2020 uh, recording that I'm finally very excited about finally putting out. So yeah, if you don't know Kai Humphreys, he is a Geordie comic. I always feel that is like a derogatory term, but I don't know. He's he he's from Newcastle. Yeah, he is, isn't he? He's from Newcastle, uh spent some time in Scotland, living in London, but he is part of uh basically Daniel Sloss's tour he's 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 the other half they have a podcast together and if you've seen Daniel Sloss's tour you've probably seen Kai and uh yeah cracking show always with those two lads if you've got someone like Kai guaranteed this year support that then the main act better be good as well and it is and it becomes a very good show uh but no no support today if anything this is the support for Kai's episode and uh let's just get into it man let's do it will we you ready? Pause this if you're not ready. It's awkward now because I can't tell you to unpause it. But look, if you're back, welcome back. Hope you're refreshed. Let's just not waste any more time. we got a banger here, guys. So sit back, relax, enjoy the beautiful, the lovely, the delicious and entertaining. Episode of My First Gig with Kai Humphreys.
1: some places that we didn't even imagine we, we went to we went to russia and done a, done a gig in, in moscow went to tokyo but like every time we're just there for one day so it would go in like do the gigs, see some of the sites and then out of there
2: so you didn't get to see like, lots of hotel rooms and stuff like that?
1: A lot of hotel rooms, a lot of airports and stuff. But uh, but yeah, we, we still got after it. We still went out. Like, uh, we we're, were represented socially. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we went and got smashed. We drank a lot of whiskey in Tokyo. We drank a lot of vodka in, in Russia. Well, you just, um, just deal with it in the morning. The 5am lobby call with
2: a vodka <laughs> hangover. <laughs> Brutal. Any any non comedy highlights from the last uh, some from some strange places? Um, non comedy highlights.
1: Yeah, we went. Um, we, we had a gap in the in the in the tour. We had like two and a half weeks off in September, and we just we all went to Hawaii. Just like ten of us, like all the guys and girls, like my wife and a bunch of our friends. We just went to Hawaii and just chilled the fuck. So that that was probably the highlight because it was just this this storm of. Just movement and traveling, and then just boom—we're just in the, in the fucking nicest place in the world, just on this island in the mid- middle of the Pacific Ocean. So, yeah, that that serenity was the.
2: Yeah, like I think if if I the blank blank plane ticket anywhere, Hawaii's oh. the Hawaii's what I'm writing on it. it.
1: That that's exactly the the thought pattern that we had. We just went right. We've got to fucking we've we've made some money from touring. We've fucking we've got to. Two weeks. We've got We've got a blank plane ticket. That's what we said. Like if we could be anywhere in the world for these couple of weeks off, where would we be? And
2: is is it, is it just like the movies? Sitting down, beaches. Oh yeah, yeah. Drinking it's, out of coconuts. It's glorious.
1: The skies are fantastic. The sunsets are fantastic. The, yeah, the, yeah. It's just sweet. We had like a really nice villa as well. So it hard to leave the villa. We're like there's so much of Hawaii at our
2: disposal, but we just want to get a chill by the pool here. That's still Hawaii, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, Hawaii. So before we kick into your first gig, I want to ask you if I if I ask what's your favourite memory or your first memory of comedy, whether that be stand up or anything else, what uh, what comes to mind? Do you think?
1: Let's go first memory. Early doors, Jack D on television. He he done a routine that had me dad in stitches where he was pointing at a mojo rapper on the floor and he was saying mojo in a funny voice. Mojo being a little sweet, like a kind of blackjack kind of sweet. And I remember my dad being in stitches, I didn't quite get what the joke was, but I was just like, that guy's inciting a reaction like that out of my dad. That's fucking pretty cool what he's doing. That's my earliest memory of comedy, but that didn't really, that didn't make me go, oh, that's what I want to be. That was just my earliest memory. Um, Take it when I was 25 years old, um, my friend had a birthday party where we went paintballing through the day. And then we went there, have you heard of the Hyena Cafe in Newcastle? doesn't no. exist anymore. But it's a bit of a bear pit of a gig. Like, it's renowned as a bear pit. Like, um, it's meant to be, like, really nasty, like, heckly, boozy, drinky, like a jungler's yeah, type yeah. of gig, right? But um, so we went there, and I didn't know it had that reputation at the time. It was just the first ever comedy club I'd heard of or been to. And uh, I was in stitches watching these lads on stage. And I, I'll try and remember who was on, right? There was a... There was a black guy called Valentine Fly Guy, who I'm guessing now is a character act. I don't think that was his real name, but I've not, <laughs> since I started Stand Up, I've not seen him. And there was an Irish guy hosting, and he, he done, I'm trying to think of the joke that he did that I remember is he done this thing about doing a drug, a weed deal. And uh, he was, like, on the back of this truck and he went everywhere. And he really, like, dragged out the story of this wheel deal that he'd done. But, like, he took a hit. And then when he went back to his mates, he told them about the journey that he'd been on. He went, nah, mate, he just walked over there. But the weed was so strong that it made it feel like this massive journey. And that was the... I mean, I've butchered his joke. But that's what it was. And I I don't think I've worked with that guy since I started stand-up either. So there was another guy on the bill, too, who I can't remember much of. I think he was reading, like, suggested greeting cards. Like, that was his his shtick. So I watched this gig with these three guys on, and I was laughing, I was in stitches, but I was also analysing, going, like, in my head, the cogs were turning, going, is that their job? Is that what they do for a living? Is that how they make money? Do they then drive home and they go and fucking, uh, on the yard laying bricks, or is that their mainstay? That's all I could think about was, like, is this an option? Um, Because in my head, like, I thought there was just Jack Day, Jasper Carrot, Joe Brand, Peter K, Leigh Evans. I'm already running out. Billy Connolly. I thought there was just this handful of... Because it was before the McIntyre boom, when McIntyre brought a bunch of people on TV. And I hadn't watched any of the Apollos. I just thought there was these, like, literally like a dozen comedians in the whole world. And then I realized there's a subculture underneath the, underneath the mainstream that people are just making a solid living. Being stand-ups, and I just instantly just done my research on
2: that. I like this when you're watching Jack D. Uh, I, I, I like that as a memory anyway, because I think that's, that's one of my earliest memories, was, was this happy hour TV program, mm. which was 30 minutes every week. And I was just like, that doesn't make sense, and I didn't get the joke. Um, but it's that you didn't necessarily understand why it was funny, but you liked the fact that he was getting someone to laugh. Yeah. And that that's what kind of piqued your interest at that, at that point.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. and just the, the craft of it all just seemed to be like, this just this guy with so much confidence that he's just like on his own and talking and, and people were laughing at him and it was like, even though I couldn't quite understand, like even when my parents were watching Billy Connolly, I just, I don't think I could like tune into his accent at the time when I was that young.
2: But I was just fascinated by him. And that club now, What's, what made you go? So you obviously started seeing bits of stand-up
1: around. and So no, I went there uh, just because it was a pre-arranged birthday and day, like uh, like I said, paintball through the day, comedy in the evening, and I was just a guest. I was just going along for the ride. Okay. Like I didn't have anything to do with the planning of it. I didn't even know about this comedy club. That was just like 10 miles from my house. I'm, I live like near Newcastle, in a place called Blythe. So yeah, we, uh, we traveled in to Newcastle, went to the Hyena, and I was like, fucking this is great. And then... Um, I picked up this bit of paper, like this, uh, flyer's a strong word. Someone had clearly just used the printer in the house and cut it with scissors, <laughs> And it said, new material night, the first Wednesday of every month, or last Wednesday of every month, so so it happened to be. Um, it said, new uh, professional comedians trying new material and new acts, uh, like kind of test, like breaking that, I don't know how it was worded, but basically cutting their teeth. Um so I see this, like, fucking haphazard, like, flyer, and I take it, and I, I hustle my friends, saying, hey, on the, cause at the time, right, on the last, uh, on, the, on the every Wednesday, me and my friends used to do a come down with me, and I can't even remember this, so this is 2008, I don't know if this predates come down with me, or if we were inspired by it, <laughs> but we used to take turns at going around, there was six of us, and we'd take turns at going to each other's house on a Wednesday, and that person had to cook. And none of us were very good at cooking at all. So that's why we did it. we just just push ourselves to try and like come up with a meal for six people. And I managed to convince these six lads, or five lads and me, that um, on the last Wednesday of the month, instead of doing the come down with me, can we go to this comedy club and have a look at this new material night? And they got on board. And when we went, we made up half of the audience. So there's 12 of us in the same club, in the hyena, which probably, I'm going to say 300. It's probably a 300 seater. And there was 12 of her in, like, a horseshoe around the stage. And it just, like, the room was just so empty compared to, like, a couple of Saturdays ago when I was there on the birthday party. How did that feel, like, in comparison? It just, it was so, uh, yeah, it was... It was so no frills, like there was no glitz and glamour about it. And we were a good crowd, actually, when I look back and think how difficult a 12-seater audience can be in such a big room. Mm. We were really giving, like, it, we were, like there was no self-conscious, like we, we didn't shrink into ourselves because we were so like the front row and the only people there. We got right into the show, we had a good laugh. And, um, and it turns out the other people that were there were there to see one of their mates who was getting up and doing a spot and um, the bill was actually great it was um, Gavin Webster who was running it he was hosting it Dave Johns was on Stephen Petty Carl Hutchinson Alfie Joy handful of guys who like I work with still regularly um, and I just approached Gavin Webster I thought this is my in I was like yeah, hey man if I can come along next month and jump on like the lad who had his friends there I was like I'll bring a few of my friends but I reckon I could get probably like 20-30 people to come if I hustle a little bit and get like a nice bigger audience for you um, so I just used like, my I can bring some bums on seats, if I can have some stage time, and I hustled it that way, and Gav was like really delighted for us to do it. Um, so that's what that's what I did, and I, I ended up bringing like way over a hundred people. Holy shit! It was like at the birth of Facebook. <laughs> that was the dawn of Facebook, I'm sure, 2008. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just events. Conne- that's I, it. I just connected with a bunch of people, people who I played football with, people who I went to school with. People who I'd worked with over, like, I, I worked in leisure centres and I'd worked at a couple by then. Like, I'd, I was on my third leisure centre, I was working my way up the, <laughs> the leisure centre scene. You're just connecting in <laughs> an audience each job? I, I just uh, brought in an audience, I like getting in touch with people, going, Hey, I haven't seen you in a little while. Uh, I haven't done my first stand up comedy gig. It could be a fucking disaster, but like, I'd love you to be there to watch us, even if I fail. Like, I'd love you to be there <laughs> to support us. And, um, and I just, like, when I look back now, that's a. Uh, it was mad that I wasn't nervous about that. That I was just bringing everybody from every walk of life to come and watch this potentially fail.
2: Yeah. So, like, but you go, you go to that first one as part of the birthday party and then you go check out the new material nice. Yeah. Like, at what point are you thinking, oh, I'd like to do this? I'd like to, you know, be the... The guy on stage, not the guy sitting in the oh, audience. Oh, so the
1: the minute I wanted to be the guy on stage was the minute um, I watched, the, the, like, the, when the gig started, when the comedy gig started. I'm in the audience. I've never seen comedy before in my life. I've never even been to see, like, a big arena name. Like, I haven't been to see any comedy at all. And um, the soon as the com, I walked on stage and everybody, all these drunks, like, stopped chatting, most of the drunks stopped chatting and start paying attention to the stage. And then the first laugh comes. I was laughing I was watching the stage on two levels I was watching the stage on the level of I'm a punter I'm enjoying it I was watching the stage of I've just figured out what I want to do and I want to know if that's an option so it was like a penny drop moment
2: yeah like there's not like it's I think a lot of people spend their time you know kind of enjoying comedy itself yeah and then once they see the kind of the pathway but no just straight away you see the acting go hold on well if he's doing it yeah, I could do it. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't, I I wasn't a scholar.
1: I wasn't. A, I wasn't a scholar of the craft. I didn't. I didn't have any history of, apart from like, like I said, like the, my earliest memory was watching Jack Day and stuff like that. Like I'd, I'd seen comedy on TV. I used to love watching. Um, they think it's all over. Oh, yeah, i And Lee yeah. and that. Like, I used to love watching that. So I have like been a consumer of comedy, but I'm never a scholar of comedy. And then, um, and then the penny drops and I start doing my research and I become a scholar from that day onwards. That's when I started studying it.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
2: You know, you're saying that you know you'd people from jobs and from football, and you're just connecting with people on Facebook. So yeah, like, you're quite a social person already, were you? Or yeah,
1: uh uh-huh. uh-huh, yeah. I, I I would always like kind of lead the charge and organising stuff in general. Yeah, yeah. Like if there's uh, like I'd I'd, I'd I'd book like football pitches, Astroturf, eleven a side, and try and get like twenty lads together for a game. So and, very proactive. And I'd be proactive about getting shit done. Well, yeah, yeah
2: like so. What so, what age you at this time?
1: I was twenty five. Yeah, like I'd organised my, uh, like my friend stag do. I was the best man and I'd organised a big stag do holiday and stuff. So I was like, um, I did have form of getting people together. And hosting dinner parties at 25.
2: <laughs> it's, yeah, you're, you're getting stuff done. Yeah. I, I was making beans and waffles at 25. I, I still am, to be honest. Um, I can't lie. Uh, so yeah, so like you bring these people. Like People go to their first gig and they barely have 20 people in the audience. Never mind 100 people there to see them. So I say that, like it must have been a while, but before the, we talk about the actual first gig, you go up to Gavin that night, you say, look, if I bring some mates, can I get some stage time? How much stage time are you giving, by the way? Uh, you give us 10. 10 minutes? My first, my first gig was straight 10 minutes, yeah. So what do you do, like, between, how long do you have? It's a month, is it? I've got a month, yeah. you got a month. So I've got a month. To write 10 minutes. How do you go about writing if you've
1: never like? So I like I didn't have anybody to ask for advice from. I didn't have anything to go off. I just knew I was going to get up and I was going to do material. So I started writing it. Um, I t- I was typing it out. I never wrote anything with a notepad and pen. I typed everything, and um, I was I was a little bit um, I broke the rules a bit because I was watching YouTube videos and then like inspiring. Um, inspiring, like, routines of stuff that I'd seen. So I would watch someone, like, I I saw it quite a few times. People get, you know, when they go, um, people ask, your your comedian, like, tell us a joke, but you wouldn't say, oh, and I think there was a a Bob Monkhouse one, oh, you're a cartographer, draw me a map. So I was like, oh, I'm going to have my own version of that. And I think mine was like, oh, you wouldn't say you're epileptic, go ahead, swallow your tongue. So I was like... I was taking like kinda hacky jokes and then trying to make them my own. Mm. So I was I didn't know the writing process, but I did write some original stuff like as well in the midst of it, I wrote a joke about remembering being a sperm. Like a really flight of fancy like routine about like how I was the fastest and I was like pretending to swim on stage and I thought I was ahead and then I, I saw like a, a bunch of more sperm ahead of us and then I remembered that must be because I was in the left ball and my dad's left ball must hang below the right ball so they got out first so I've got to beat all them and I was just like these wild flights of fancy like that but the way I wrote them was I, I was typing them down um, and I Anytime time I was expecting a laugh, which I soon learned, like you, you can't really call it. Sometimes you'll get a laugh when you're not expecting it off a turn of phrase, and sometimes you'll do get a punchline that you think is going to be the big one, and it'll just get a little titter, and you have to call restructure the whole joke. Uh, but what I was doing uh, with confidence is putting in red, in a in a red font, uh, where the laugh was going to be, and if I had too much black type and without any red I would go and punch it up I would go right I need to split this paragraph and make it so that there's a red bit in there and so when I when I had my sheets of paper printed out it would be like equal parts or like at least like like 60 uh, percent like sorry 40 percent red so that like when the the, like the payoffs were were abundant and that's how that's how I wrote for the like in the in the month in the build-up. That's crazy planning for like for, for never having done it before? Yeah, and <laughs> I'm me- I'm, be like, oh, I memorise it all too. I would stand in my room and just like fucking just talking her like a tin of deodorant and just pace the floor and just like get it like word for word. Just like, I mean, I would have been a nightmare if I got heckled because everything was, everything was a sign of memory. On like day one, I was phoning it in.
2: Yeah, like so like you'd you you you'd route one A to B kind of. yeah. Uh, what do you do that day? Are you working that day? You said you're working in leisure centres. Yeah,
1: I had a shift. I actually, um, I practiced in the maintenance bay of the sports centre. Um, I like I, I was so shameless with this, right? Like I, I got uh, I got everybody that was on shift that wasn't on the swimming pool at that time. So the maintenance technician, the cleaner, one of the receptionists, <laughs> my supervisor, and a couple of other leisure attendants. So maybe seven people on staff, right? I got them to come into the maintenance bay where, like, it's like they will kind of. The woodwork room at school. Where like any, anything that needs like fixing or doing gets done in there. Um, so there's Ali's like a fucking de, defunct like spin bike in the corner and a, like an old badminton net that's that's collapsed. Um, so we're just in this kind of big cupboard with seven people, and I'd just done it for them. I, perf- I just performed it for them in the, in the maintenance bay before I'd ever done my first gig. So that it essentially was my first gig, really. <laughs> I mean, if you take away the best man speech I did, uh, that was my first stand-up performance. Um, and then it just helped me assign it to memory, and it helped me with the confidence of standing up in front of people. I just threw myself in at the deep end. Well, yeah, so like it sounds
2: like you've got confidence, you got planning, you got... You got support, so yeah.
1: I was I was very sure about it. I was like I, I like I look back and I really admire the confidence that I had back then. Like I mean I've got confidence now, I really do. But like to to do what I did then is like I, I sometimes look back at that young kid and go
2: fucking go on you, <laughs> <laughs> you you're like com- could, you're could, confident little bastard. Like he could have done politics or something. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm, I have to assume the gig went well then?
1: Yeah, I, I was showing off in front of my pals. It was it, it was just like the same as how sometimes just like like when I, I played football for a Sunday league team, I would go in and I would just like take the piss and I would roast and I'd tell stories from the night before and I'd hold court. And it just felt a bit like that. I was like, I'm, I'm like in a room of people I'm familiar with. So I can just relax. I can be myself. I can so you're you're you're
2: kind of a bit you're a bit of a like the funny guy, kind of joker, like growing up then.
1: Yeah, but I, I didn't consider it that. I didn't I didn't like label myself as the funny guy. But I would like I would always have something to say.
2: You, yeah, you enjoy you enjoyed having something to say and maybe yeah having a reaction from us or something like that. Yeah. So the it, it comes to the night then. Um, do you remember the format of the night? Yeah, I was on somewhere like in the middle. There was, yeah,
1: because it was mostly pro acts, but there was a couple of other new acts. The guy who was up when I went the first time, he was up again, um, but this time with a bigger audience. So I was on like back to back with him, like they put us kind of in the middle. Hmm. Uh, Alfie Joey closed it. so yeah, like I think the maybe's about like six or seven acts on. I couldn't I couldn't exactly name the entire lineup, but no, that's fair. I might have it written down somewhere. You know, I I started this, I stopped in two thousand and seventeen, and I'm gutted I did. I wrote down every gig that I had, every single gig. I would put like how many minutes it was, where it was, what town. But I don't know where It wasn't like it wasn't on a spreadsheet, and it ended up getting to the point where it was too long that it would take days and days of data entry to put it into a spreadsheet and make it sortable. And I stopped in 2017, I'm gutted about that, but every time I worked with a new comedian, I wouldn't put the, like, the lineup on all of the things, but I'd add the name to the list. So at the bottom of this list of gigs, like, so it ended up on, like, page 100 or whatever. I'd add another comedian to that list. So I've got this, like, log... So all it would be for to check that is I can go in check the first six names on the list of comedians I've worked with, and that's my first gig. So I, 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 can...
2: I, I, I keep a similar list, and, yeah, I'm... Uh, I, I think I missed a couple of months and then trying to track it back or something like that. Yeah. And you miss someone's it's like... Yeah, cause I'd done that a few times. I had tracked it back a few times,
1: but then in 2017, I'd done I'd done like two festivals in Australia where I was just fucking like five gigs a day almost, and some of the gigs weren't even like in my schedule. I was just picking them up last minute, and I, I was like, it's gonna be impossible to pull that back. So that's where that ends. Yeah, no, that's a shame. So yeah, I nearly, I nearly recorded it for ten years. Yeah, I got like nine years of recording.
2: When you uh, when you see the, the the other acts go up on stage, so that you got the pro acts and then you got kind of the new acts in the middle. Is there any of the new acts on before you? remember i can't remember that i
1: think as it, it like after the first act i just went in my head i went in my notes like i'm, I'm just looking through because what was weird is I, I could remember everything in my living room and now i'm in this social environment where i know everybody in the room so it's kind of like hosting your own birthday party so i'm like i'm chatting to people trying to stay present and we're like, oh, hello, mate, how are you doing? Catching up with people. was for the first time in months, maybe even like over a year. And I was seeing people and I'm smiling and I'm hosting almost like um, socially anyway. Um, that I wasn't thinking about my stuff. So when the gig started, I was like, oh, I've got a little bit of time to myself now. And I went, and a little, at the time, there was a little like cupboard at the side of the stage. That was the through path onto the stage. I know they the refurbished it a couple of times and moved the stage around a couple of times. but to the left of the stage at the hyena, there's a small cupboard, and I went in there, and I'm looking at my notes, and I just can't get at the stick, I just couldn't get, I couldn't get my mind to like, hold 10 minutes of stuff at once, so what I told myself is, memorise your first line up until the first red bit, and then just hope it flows after that, just like, if it flows it flows like you just try and remember the links and sure enough I did like I drilled it enough times that all I needed to do was remember the first bit and when I got to the end of the first bit I remembered what that led to so instead of just like I just let it I just let it come but when I realized that that was the approach I was going to take that's the moment I started really shitting myself I was backstage like fucking how have you ended up in this situation What kind of fucked up decisions have you made in your life
2: (laughs) that you're now looking at the curtain going? There's one or two people here to see me. Oh my
1: god! Yeah, fuck man, that's some nerves. Like I haven't had like yeah, because they them nerves would stay around for the first couple of years. Hmm. Um, Especially I started running gigs too. And that's a different type of nerves when you run gigs. Because this, this is what happened, right? So after I brought them people to the gig, uh, I got asked to do a gig in a place called Hoko Ten, which isn't a gig, it's a bar. And I decided to put a gig on. Again, it was Gav Webster that was booking it. And um, and he got me on the bill, obviously open spot, unpaid. But the manager of the venue got in touch with us. And he says, can you come and collect some tickets and sell some tickets, right? Now I, I picked up like um, 40 tickets off of him and I sold every one of them, like a tenner each. And then when I got there they were the only people at the fucking gig. So I get in touch with Gav Webster saying, hey, I'm just wondering, like, did everybody else get paid for that gig? Because I didn't, and I sold all the tickets. And Gav Webster, obviously, there's this fucking open spot asking him about getting paid. And he, like, it was really nice of him to send us this email, but he's just like, mate, you don't realise you've got to fucking put your graft in, in this industry. You've got to do everything you can to get on the bill. And I do understand that that was my pound of flesh to get on the bill was selling those tickets. I didn't get booked because of my ability. I got booked because I can bring people. So I should be grateful at that stage time. But that, that also, the penny drop with me, is like, I can sell tickets. I don't need this fucking middleman at Hoko 10 for me to put it on. So I started running gigs almost immediately knowing that I could bring people along. So I would book a lineup and I would put myself on, not as the MC, because I think, like, look, now that's a mistake a lot of new act makers have put themselves on as the MC, whereas the MC is an important part of the night. Uh, I I'd, I'd saw that early and I didn't put myself on as I'm saying. I pat myself on the back for that too because that was wisdom beyond my comedy years. I put myself on as the open spot every month. I would just go on and do a 10 spot every month. It would be 10 spot new. you. It'd be a pro act bill and then I'd make some money off running the gigs. So that's uh, Punch Drunk Comedy. I still run the gigs now. I run them with my brother. It's a monthly night.
2: Very nice. I want to stick with that, that time that you're in the, um, in the cupboard next to the gig. Yeah. When the act before you goes on and you know you're next. I'm sure those nerves even then crank up some more. Yeah. You, you now know, look, well, obviously there's people here to see you. You have your stuff. Or, you know, you memorise up until that first red bit, you say. Yeah. Do you remember what that first bit was? Um, I think it was that line. I think it was the line
1: about the people say you're going to do stand-up comedy. It might have been that. It might have been... That could have been my first joke. It could have been a one about... Um, picking up some flowers for I uh, picking up some flowers for my girlfriend or something, but like getting them off the roadside, I took them down off a lamppost. Thought I, I like I like I think I I get them off the lamppost and I go, Oh my mom will like those or my girlfriend something like that. there was there was one joke early on where I picked flowers off a lamppost. It was shock comedy. Hmm. it was shock value. So that was that was early in my set. Because I remember I started I started with like a, a handful of um handful of uh, like kind of short snappy like non non really like they didn't they didn't open up and expand into bigger bits and then the bit that I opened up and expanded into a bigger bit was the one about me being a sperm <laughs> I also done a, like a bit that I cringed I think that might have been kind of racist about Indian people can't swear and I think I'd seen like I'd seen a black comedian on YouTube doing something similar and I was like oh I should do something similar to that <laughs> I was like, "Shit off!" <laughs> yeah. I, I cringe when I think about it. But I didn't know anything at the time, you know. Like, oh, this is a fucking.
2: Well, the reason I like to remind people is to tell them is that that's that's the jokes now that started everything. Mm. <laughs> so a racist Indian joke now is what you have to you owe everything to. <laughs> um, and then I done something like super filthy at the end. That ended
1: where I was. Um, I was like, I, I've, I, I'm not very good at impressions, but I can do. <laughs> I can do an impression of my girlfriend. And then I was like, "Do you want to see an impression? You know that like new act thing of getting the audience to validate everything. Do you want to see an impression of me, girlfriend?" And I, yeah, <laughs> he fucking cut that out. And then I lay on me back, held my knees, and pretended to fanny fart, and <laughs> go, "Can I pass a sock?" What so, a closer! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was fucking. It was a ridiculous patchwork quilt of shite we set, but people laughed because. I was, I I don't know, like I was just daring to do it. I was like, I I guess it was the novelty of it that was getting the laughs more than anything else. And maybe the fact that I I was
2: selling it well, I had a a decent stagecraft from the top. Well, so here we are, like, you know, you you watch Jack D on the telly, but you're, you know, what piques your interest is seeing that he's making someone laugh. Yeah. And now here tonight on stage in like this proper setting now that your job is now to make people laugh and you start getting those laughs yeah do you remember how that made you feel getting them yourself then
1: yeah absolutely buzzed like I was fucking it it, it flashed by it was like um, it was like that when I come off stage it was like that feeling of jumping in a plunge pool when you jump in and your whole breath's like taken from you like like I I remember coming off stage after big laughs and a nice big round of applause to walk off and I just woke up I just felt so invigorated just so alive, like fucking coursing through my veins. And I think that's the bit where I was probably like, "Got again, again, I've got to go again.
2: To so put me on next. <laughs> yeah, put me on next. I'll come up with something. So like yeah, there was no there was no rest period. You, you you were you were in, you wanted to do a second gig, a third gig, a fourth gig at this stage, I'd say. Straight away. Yeah,
1: uh uh-huh. I booked that one in immediately. Gav Webster was like, yeah, do you wanna come back and do it again next month? And then he booked us in for Hoco ten, which was in the interim. So I think that was my second and third gigs. Um and then I started finding discovering the forums where people were putting gigs out. This was pre the pre Facebook comedy forums. Uh, I heard about gong shows and I went and done a couple of gong shows and had some competitions. I'm so glad I did them early. I done all them competitions and all them gong shows in my first six months. Like, I find yeah. that
2: I find that absolutely mad because like so I didn't you know gig in here. They don't exist or anything like that. You know nah. so like when you know go to places like London and you see these gong shows and it's like mm-hmm. brutal. Like years of experience, they'll ruin you. Like but then. You know, you, you chat to the guys, you're right, going, oh, yeah, like, what's your crack? He's like, this is my first ever gig. And you're like, you are absolutely, like, I wouldn't have a second gig if that's my first gig. I wouldn't have a tenth gig if it was my ninth gig. Yeah. So, like, fair, like, but, like, did you found it helpful yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I got, like, uh, I do regular comedy store weekends and have done since, like, maybe eight years ago, seven years ago, perhaps. And that 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 all came because I've done a gong show. I'd done a gong show, got my open spots. Continued with the open spots for a couple of years. Worked my way through. Done a twenty on a Thursday, and then and then the the weekends come in and and, and, and I guess in the UK when you when you do the comedy store that opens up every other gig because you've 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 passed the you've passed the biggest test. So once I got in at the comedy store, then everybody else paid attention. So sometimes it's the sometimes like if you if you don't take that fast track route and you, 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 you sometimes get the comedy store last. Sometimes never get the comedy store. I know like good like solid comedians that are considered better than me still haven't got their comedy store gigs. And then like I got it I got it first up. I got it before the rest of the gigs.
2: On that first gig, so you're 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 sitting there right back in that cupboard, you got all the people out there. You know, as you say you're you, you love that little guy being so confident and stuff like that. But yeah. then the nerves start to kick in, and you know you're next, you're about to get called, you're there looking at your notes. If you today could run over, take him aside, what do you think you'd say to him if you had a couple of minutes with him?
1: Oh, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, fucking don't listen to me for now. I'm say you, <laughs> <laughs> you've got it <to> covered. <laughs> nah, I was, uh, yeah. I was, um, I would probably tell him, right, you're going to get a lot of advice, uh, but the best advice I can give you is just filter that advice. Some of it's going to be shite. A lot of people are going to talk to you with confidence. A lot of people are going to give you stuff that like is advice to them but not advice to you. Uh, just look at everything with an open mind because sometimes you get that when you're a new comic. You get so many people who, in two months' time, you're going to be above them, but they talk to you with authority. This is like, a real gatekeeper level of, like, Permanent open spot that that like will always try and tell you this is how it is, this is how it's done, this is what you've got to do, and then um, and then you soon realise that like oh that's that's they they need advice <laughs> they shouldn't be given it. Well, there we go.
2: Uh, cheers for chatting for your first gig.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hopefully, oh, you that brought nice. up some uh, some fun memories. Yeah.
2: another one in the books guys thank you so much season 3 episode 11 the penultimate episode of this season one more episode next week and then can take a little break until the new year oh only on the main feed because Patreon it's starting Jim Elliot, Aidan Green the first two episodes of the bonus episodes of the members of the Irish comedy scene is happening so guys going over to the Patreon for just uh, 5 euro a month or one there's a five-year tier and a one-year tier. I can't remember if these episodes are on the one-year tier. Maybe they're on the five. It'll tell you when you get there. Um, go listen to the bonus episodes. Get these episodes main feed early and ad-free and extended. So there's no reason not to Patreon.com for it. pod. Uh Follow at My First Gig Pod or follow me at Dwayne Dugan. And thank you for joining me. Next week's guest, the final guest, is going to be the absolute legend himself, Mr. Phil Jupitus, another, and it's a, it's a, you want to talk about extended, oh boy, the main feed of this is going to be extended, I asked him for half an hour, he gave me uh, close to 90 minutes, we had a great chat, asked him to know his first joke, or his first, like, bit at a show, which was a poem, and boy did he, that alone is worth the price of admission, so tune in to Phil Jupitus next week, again, there he is as I said, on Patreon, and in the meantime, and in between time, somebody says that, I've robbed that, today. they? In the meantime, and in between time, I don't know, elastic bands make rubber hands. That was me. Decided if I'm going to rob somebody off, rip somebody off, then I'm going to create something of my own. Right, guys. Send me your confirmation money, and we'll talk to you next week. Toodles. It's
0: the My First Gig Podcast one. You've been listening to the My First Gig with Dwayne Dugan on ACAST. Follow online at My First Gig Pod or at Dwayne Dugan. For classic episodes, ad free, early access, and more, head to myfirstgigpod.com. This is My First Gig with Dwayne Dugan, powered by ACAST. Enjoy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.